listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. No doubt in the climate that we have had over the last two years, that particular song that we just sang is even more dear to some of you who have lost loved ones as of late. Uh, There is a day of reuniting, and we can look forward to that day. Of course, one thing is when we all get to heaven, of course, that is for God's people to sing. Not everyone is going to end up in heaven. Ultimately, there is no salvation in any other except in the name of Jesus. And that's why God calls us to share Jesus' name so that one day when we do arrive in that afterlife, we would be able to spend eternity with him. And those of you who have loved ones who are already there, you know what? We are just a few more steps. Uh, Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Today, uh, I have the opportunity to take us back to the book of Philippians. It's been way too long since we've been able to dive into this book. Many of you know that our practice here at Lebanon Baptist Church is oftentimes we just make our way through different books of the Bible. Because what all of us actually need in life is not simply what a preacher has to say, what he's thought through that week. You need to hear from the Word of God. You need God to show you how you are to conduct your life. And as a pastor and as a preacher, my job is not simply to share you with you my thoughts. My job is not to be a creator. My job is to be explainer and to show you this is what the text says and that you would go out and say, God, by your help, help me to be not just a hearer of your word, but a doer of it. And this morning we have the opportunity to go back into the book of Philippians. By way of a simple review... Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a local church in ancient Philippi. And as he's writing to them, he's telling them and he's calling them. He does this in the first chapter. He calls them to walk worthy of their new citizenship. Yes, many of them were citizens of Rome. However, because they came to know Christ, they had a much more important citizenship. And that was a citizenship in heaven, which he will refer to when we get to chapter 3. And he says, I want you to live now worthy of this new citizenship, that you would live in partnership of what I'm doing in this world. Now, how could they do that? Well, what he called them to do in chapter 2 is that they would corporately... And when I say corporately, I mean everybody, that everyone within that local church would adopt the same mindset, that they would all think together, think the same way. And how were they to think? They were to think like their Lord. And at the beginning of chapter two, he says, let this mind be in you, plural, I want all of you to think the same way, and I want you to echo the mind of Jesus Christ. And then from the beginning of chapter 2, what he goes on, of course, he gives the greatest example, Jesus, who lived with that mindset. But then he gives some other examples. Paul explains himself how he has lived to model that. And then a few weeks ago, we looked at another great example The gentleman, Timothy, 
This morning we come to a fourth example in this chapter of another person who lived in many ways with this particular mindset. We are going to look at this guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Okay, big, big name, long name, but it's easy. You just sound it out and you'll spell it right. Okay, Epaphroditus. What are we going to learn from this particular man? We're going to learn this. You and I need to emulate and honor those who are engaged in the work of Christ. Let me say that again. You need to emulate, which means follow, echo, mimic. You need to emulate, but also honor those who are engaged in the work of Christ. This morning we run into this guy who it's just real clear that he was busy in the work of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know this? Well, I want you to look at verse 30 of our text. Philippians 2, verse 30, it says this. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Catch that? He nearly died. He, he gave himself to the point of death. Why? So he could involve himself in the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, my question to you is what type of work are you engaged in? No doubt, as I look across this audience, we have numbers of different occupations. Normally, that's one of the first questions we ask somebody when we get to know them. Hey, what's your name? Where do you live? What do you what? What do you do? What kind of work are you involved in? Is there a particular work that all of us should be involved in? I submit to you there is, and it's the work of Jesus. You and I ought to be busy about the work of Jesus. There's a lot of works we can get involved in. Of course, you learn from your Bible, there's the works of the devil. There's the works of the flesh. And you can live your life, even as a believer, doing the wrong type of work. So you could be sitting here today, you could be a follower of Jesus, but you're not involved in the work of Christ. In fact, in this very book, he talks about people whose work or their God is their belly. They're just serving to get food into their belly. Or those who, he says in another place, they are people who just mind earthly things. They just live with all the, you could say, the alarms and whistles that this world has to offer, and they're just trying to get those things done. They may have a great to-do list, but all of their work is basically earthly work. This guy, however, Epaphroditus, was one who was involved in the work of Christ. Just because you're a believer this morning, you say that you are a biblical Christian, doesn't mean just because you claim the name of Jesus that all of a sudden all of your work that you do has been whitewashed and sanctified. Oh, they're a Christian? That means their work is the work of Christ. You must choose manually, purposefully. To engage yourself in the work of Jesus Christ. And the guy that we're going to look at today did that. His name was Epaphroditus. And so should you. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians in another place a very famous verse. It says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers. It's talking about believers. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, 
your labor is not in vain. I'm looking at a lot of workaholics in here. Some of you, you give yourself to teaching. You give yourself to growing your business. You give yourself maybe to just teaching your kids. But my question to you this morning, is your work the work of Christ? Have you decided that you are going to devote and make your work and transform your work and merge your work into being the work of Jesus Christ? Whether you're a nurse, an accountant, a teacher, a student, you're to be busy in the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, my son, uh, Will, he has a, a little lawn business and he's a believer, okay? He, he, he's affirmed Christ. Just because he's a believer, does that make his work of doing lawns the work of Christ? No, because another kid in the neighborhood who may be an unbeliever, he could be doing the same job as him, and it's not the work of Christ. There's something that he and I and you ought to do when it comes to what we do to engage ourselves in the work of Christ. So what, does, what makes our work... The work of Jesus Christ. And probably the key question next is this. What was Jesus Christ's specific work? What did Jesus do? What, what kind of engagement was he involved in? Well, let me, let me invite you to look, and, and I'll show them here on the screen, two verses that talk about the work of Christ. One of them is in Luke 19. It says this. For the Son of Man, which is another name for Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So when Jesus came here, his work was to seek and to save the lost. Now, what does he want us to do? Let me take you to another text. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he talks about how God has given us a responsibility. Listen to what it says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So Christ was in the you could say the business of reconciling people to himself. And but then it says this, and he gave us the ministry or the work or the job of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us. Okay, this is our job. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are not nurses, students, and you may be one of those. You and I are ambassadors. What? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? Through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So what was Jesus' work? Jesus' work was to live in the world and help humanity be reconciled to God. That was his job. He came to seek and to save the lost. And in fact, the reason he saved you is that you would now be his chosen vessels to help bring about the work of reconciliation, helping bring others into right relationships with the Father. And I can say a whole other text, the Great Commission, that all of you are familiar with, Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, go into all the world and what? Make disciples, make followers of Jesus. So, here we are, we know, we, we should be involved in the work of Christ. 
We should be engaged in it. We should be giving ourselves to it. Whatever we do, we ought to merge whatever we do into that great business of bringing people into right relationships with Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? Well, we know that Epaphroditus was doing it, don't we? Because it said he, to the point of death, gave himself for the work of Christ. So you'd say, Pastor Brian, how do I change and help You could say, refashion my life to be someone who lives for a greater cause than myself and live for the for the work of Christ. Well, a good way to look is to look at a person who's doing it. And this guy, Epaphroditus, evidently was doing it. We can see how it's done by just a simple old an ordinary person like Epaphroditus. And we can learn from them and emulate them but as well to esteem them for the work of Christ. So how do I do this? Well, I'm going to give you two points. The first point, just so you know, is longer than the second point. The second point is really short. So as I take a little longer on this first point, don't think, okay, I'm measuring the time of his message here. Okay, point number one, here it is. Learn what it looks like to be involved in the work of Christ. Okay, I want you to learn what it looks like to be involved in his work. Our text opens with Paul telling the Philippians as he's writing of his return of Epaphroditus. I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. And if you read the text, which we did a few minutes ago, we we were able to kind of reconstruct, you can kind of reconstruct what was going on uh, in the situation. Just kind of read between the lines. And here's what was going on. Paul was in prison. I believe he was in prison in Rome. Okay, As he's in prison in Rome... Paul had needs. In fact, he had to cover his own expenses in prison. You know how we joke about, hey, prison would be really nice. You get free food, you get all this, you get all this, you got a nice place to stay. And somebody's like, I've never thought that before. Well, I've seen t-shirts saying, hey, prison's the good place to be. You get everything covered. You can work out as much as you want, maybe not. But at this time, if you were in prison, according to the book of Acts, he was in prison at his own expense. So it, in order to like, take care of yourself in prison, you needed other people who would help support you and take care of you. And so uh, this church that Paul had planted many years before heard that he needed help. And so the church sent Epaphroditus to bring aid to the Apostle Paul in prison. Now, if it was indeed in the city of Rome, that was 800 miles away. Now, for some of us, we could drive that or fly that very quickly. But in that particular day and age, that was a hard endeavor. Imagine that it just, let's say that he got 25 miles a day. 25 miles a day, which is pretty hard. It would have taken him at least a month to get there. So he goes, travels there, and starts to minister to Paul's needs. And while he's serving the Apostle Paul, he gets deathly sick. And as he's deathly sick, word travels back that 800 miles. News gets to the Philippians, and they hear that Epaphroditus, their dear uh, member of their church, is sick. They hear about it, no doubt start praying, and then word gets all the way back, 800 miles again, okay, to Epaphroditus, who's sick, and the Bible says basically that he was distressed, that they knew that he was sick. He says, now they're going to be all worried about me. 
He was a very selfless type guy. Well, evidently what happened was this. Epaphroditus recovers from a sickness, and he's in the midst of returning. He's possibly the very one who's bringing the letter of Philippians to the people, okay? Paul gives instructions to them in the letter of how he ought to be received when he gets home. But before he does that, he gives a description of this man who was engaged in the work of Christ, And in verse 25, the first verse of our text, he kind of lays out what it looks like to be engaged in God's work. He gives some characteristics. Look what it says in verse 25. He says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then here's the description. My brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. What we have here in that verse are really three characteristics in reference to Paul and two characteristics in reference to the Philippians. He says, he is my this, my this, and my this, but he's your that and your this. And what we're going to create here is really, I'm going to give you kind of four characteristics, even though there's five here, I'm going to merge two together. Four characteristics of what it looked like to be involved in the work of Jesus Christ. And the first is this. They're members of God's family. How do you know this? Well, he says, first of all, Paul says he calls them my brother. Now, what did this not mean? Some people would say, is he talking about he's his ethnic brother? Is he a Jewish man? I believe not. Because guess what? He doesn't have a Jewish name. His name is Epaphroditus. You say, who was he named after? He was named after a Greek goddess. Okay? Jews didn't normally do that. Okay? So he was not talking when he says my brother that he is an ethnic brother. What I believe he's talking about when he says he's a brother is he is a brother to me through our bond in Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus at some point had accepted Jesus Christ as his savior And now he joins the brotherhood of believers in Christ. But I also believe there there is even a step deeper than that. I believe he probably had a very close bond with the Apostle Paul. And that brother is a term of endearment as well. They were close. But all that to say this, the first key of engagement in the work of Christ is asking yourself this question. Are you part of God's family? Have you ever come to know Jesus? And the way that happens is this. You realize that on your own, you are in deep trouble. You're a sinner. You deserve death. You're under the sentence of death. And you've got to come to know the only one who can save you. And the only family that can transform you. And that's coming to know Jesus Christ. And you do that through turning from your own sin. And placing your faith not in any of your own merits and anything that you do. But placing it all in the merits and the person of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. You've got to depend on Jesus Christ as your savior. And that, what, I, what I'd say, gets you hired into the family business. It immediately places you in, you could say, the assembly line of what God is doing in this world. And so today, if you'd say, man, I want to do some of that work of Christ. Well, you've got to start by becoming a brother or sister in Christ. And that's bowing your knee and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You've got to do that. That's the first step. But also, number two, it's this. The second identification, he calls them a fellow worker. And what this reveals to me is this. They labor alongside other believers. Okay, they, that little word, fellow worker, what it carried the idea of is one who got their hands dirty in the work of Christ. Now, I don't mean morally dirty, but I mean just physically, they got busy serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice who's saying this, okay? It's one thing for just an ordinary Christian to say, hey, that's a fellow worker in Christ. But we are reading from the letter of a man who I believe was one of the hardest workers in the work of Christ than you could ever imagine. I mean, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is Paul. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So here is Paul, probably at that point, the one who had given more of his life for the work of Jesus Christ than any other. And he's able to say, I've worked harder than any of them. And what is he saying about Epaphroditus? He is my fellow worker. Many of you remember uh, when I first got here, Art Humphrey. Art's a dear uh, gentleman, served as our uh, maintenance facilities manager for a number of years. And all of us knew Art. He got the job done. Okay. He worked hard. He was always cleaning, doing things. You go on a work trip. They often called him Pharaoh. Okay. And they called him Pharaoh because he was a taskmaster. He worked hard. Now, if Art was to say about another person, they're my fellow worker, everyone's like, okay, he must be a hard worker. He must be engaged in the fight. And when Paul says about this Epaphroditus, this guy is my fellow worker. He's engaged in the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, Epaphroditus must have given himself to this task. It was probably why he got sick. He probably labored to the point of exhaustion and sickness. Think about how far he traveled. And my question to you this morning, if you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is this, do you labor in Jesus's business of reconciliation? Do you give yourself to that task? Do you expect everybody to serve you? We live in a church culture Where it's like, hey, you can shop whatever church you want, and you come to church thinking, how can that church serve what? Serve me. It's not, how can I get my hands dirty to serve him? How can I engage better? Churches are supposed to, honestly, they equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry. That's what my God calls pastors. We, of course, use the work. One of the phrases I often say is businesses use people to get work done. Churches use the work to get the people done. And what God does is God uses the work that we're involved in. And you know what? He he disciples you as you get engaged in the work. 
You learn what it means to serve him. Are you just someone right now just serving yourself? You live for yourself? How have you joined in the labor of your local church? Little phrase I remember hearing often, every saint a servant. I mean, there ought to be something that you, you serve others. And of course, that, that doesn't mean just having a little job. Ministry is to people. You get to know people and you invest your life in people and you love people. And you do it by growing in the word of God, getting to know people, loving people in your own particular way. It doesn't mean you have to do it like I do it. In fact, God gives all of you different spiritual gifts. I'm glad not all of you are like me. And I'm glad that God has specifically designed you in your particular way, but you need to let God use you. And this guy was a laborer in the work of God. But not only that, number three, it's this. They fight alongside other believers. Where do I see that? Well, he calls them his fellow what? His fellow soldier. And here, this is a military term for those who fought side by side together. And evidently, I mean, you read Paul's life, you read another text, this guy battled for the name of Jesus. You read about what he had to uh, encounter and the persecution and the opposition that came. And no doubt, if you got close to Paul, guess what? You may have gotten hit by stones too. And this guy got close to Paul and he fought for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that produced a great bond. Beginning of this year, I read, uh, I finished reading a tome, you could say a biography, like 820 pages on George Washington. And it was near the end of the book where George Washington is now, after eight years of helping lead the, the, uh, the Continental Army, about said the Confederate Army, the Continental Army, after eight years, he's about to leave them. And he's in New York and all of his officers are there and they just spent all of this time battling for the cause of freedom. And as you read the bond and as he spoke to them, you could just, I mean, you just feel the emotion of him leaving them for really the last time on earth of them all together. There was a bond. And I believe there was some sort of great bond with Paul and Epaphroditus because you know what? They battled for the name of Jesus Christ to the point of death. They saw others who were persecuted and many of them killed. Do you stand for God in the midst of our culture? And I'll tell you, the more and more you and I live and the more and more our nation changes Standing with God on certain issues is going to, in many ways, make you susceptible to danger. And Epaphroditus no doubt experienced this. Are you someone who caves when it comes, oh, if I admit that I'm a follower of Jesus, I could get in trouble here. Paul called Epaphroditus a fellow soldier, and that was filled with meaning. In fact, in another text, when he talks about warring for God, listen to what Paul says here in 2 Timothy. He says this, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So when Paul uses that terminology, soldier, that's in his mind. Soldiers do this. They don't entangle themselves in civilian pursuits. 
They commit themselves to follow the one who enlisted them. And what did God enlist all of you to do? He enlisted you all to be ministers of reconciliation to this world. And Epaphroditus was busy about doing that. He did it with, no doubt, self-denial and tenacity. And I'll tell you this, as you do this, as you give yourself to this, you will have relationships that form in this assembly, if this is where you choose to do it, that will be incredibly special. And I'm going to miss, I wasn't even planning to say this, I'm going to miss my dear friend, John Stewart, who we're going to remember tomorrow. He was my fellow soldier. He was my fellow worker in the Lord. And, and I'll tell you this, uh, the more you get involved in this and live for this cause, you know what? This ought to be, on this side of heaven, some of the closest people you know. Why? Because, you know what, you become brothers, fellow workers, fellow soldiers. Get involved in it. Serve on mission trips. Serve on, I mean, you see this. People who go on mission trips together, when they come back from the mission trip, they're like tight. Because they were involved in God's work for a whole week. You come to a church work day, and you work for a day, the next Sunday, guess what? You're talking about things. There's a bond that's created. Some of you'd say, man, I don't feel connected with anyone at our church. I feel like I, and you're just kind of going off to the side. Could it possibly be that you're not engaging in the work of Jesus Christ? Could it possibly not be the church's problem? Could it possibly be your problem? You've got to get yourself involved in the work of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there's a coming storm. But two additional characteristics in respect to Epaphroditus. And it it has to do with his relationship to the Philippians. And he says at the end of the verse, he, he says this, verse 25. My fellow worker, oh, excuse me, and your messenger and minister to my need. Evidently, Epaphroditus was the person that the Philippians chose to assist them in serving Paul in the predicament that he was in. And that brings us this fourth characteristic, and it's this. They faithfully serve others. You say, why did you come up with the word faithfully and serve? Well, faithfully, because evidently he was trustworthy enough to send a probably large monetary gift over 800 miles. They trusted this guy. So he was someone who evidently had shown himself to be a faithful man, but not only that, what did he do? He served Paul. He dealt with his needs. So all that to say this, combine all four of these attributes. They were members of God's family. They, they labor alongside other believers. They fight alongside other believers. They faithfully serve others. All of these were characteristics of a person who was involved in the work of Jesus Christ. And not only did he do all these things, he did them to the point of death. Go down to verse 30 one more time. Listen to what it says here. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He risked his life. Just so you know, the term there is a term that comes from what many believe was the realm of gambling. Risking. 
The idea was he put his life all on the line for the work of Jesus Christ. That last little phrase, to to complete what was lacking in your service to me, just so you're aware, just so I kind of explain the whole uh, text, that last phrase didn't mean that the Philippians were neglectful. Okay, what it meant was Epaphroditus completed what was missing in his need. But what you see is a guy who just says, he just was sold, you hear the idea of sold out, he put it all out there. He says, God, I am just going to burn my life up for you. Whatever I can do to serve you, I'm willing to gamble it all for the sake of your name. Now, I want to share something very special here. When Paul talked about Epaphroditus, there's something that he did here that just kind of, just a special little like cherry on the top of the text, okay? At the beginning of chapter 2, he told you to adopt the mindset of Christ. Adopt it, put it into practice in your life. Well, in our text this morning, there's two places where Paul uses terminology and language that cause us to go back to the work of Jesus Christ. One of them is that word, he was distressed. Let me just suggest something. That word distress, the only other time it's used in the Greek language is talking about Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood. He's distressed for God's people. And it's just a little hint. Here is a man who's basically giving all of his energy for the work of Jesus Christ. And the other is this. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, It says that Jesus gave his life to the point of death, even the death of the what? The cross. That little phrase, to the point of death, that very phrase is repeated here at the end. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, remember I told you about Jesus? Here's Epaphroditus. Jesus gave his life to the point of death, even the cross death. Epaphroditus gave his life to the point of death. So he was following in Jesus' example. He was one of the guys and one of the, women, I mean, one of the people in the assembly who adopted what Paul said and said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to live for the sake of the gospel. So my question to you this morning again is, are you engaged in the work of Jesus Christ? What are you doing right now to involve yourself in God's task here on earth? Have you gotten comfortable? Are you simply entertaining yourself to death? If you've run out of things to watch on television, and you're like, what am I going to watch next? I've, I've seen everything. Let me tell you, you have probably been not too engaged in the work of Jesus Christ. What if you devoted the amount of time you spent to binging the last show to developing ways to further Jesus' business here on earth? How do you use your spare time? Are you always serving yourself and getting things done at your house? Or have you thought about helping somebody else at their house? Of course, during COVID season, we blame the current climate for hindering the work of Jesus Christ. But just realize, everybody, 
we're in a battle, and this is just another conflict, okay? Just because COVID showed up on the, t- on the scene doesn't mean that you and I can check out of the work of Christ. What does that verse tell us to do? Always abounding in the work of the, of the Lord. Always. Does it say always abounding except when there's a pandemic going on? Yes, we need to be cautious. We need to be careful. But did you catch our text? Epaphroditus risked his own what? His own life. And as he served the Lord, he got sick, what? Near to death. He gave himself for the work of Jesus Christ. Now, don't take this too far that I'm trying to take it. But don't take it too light. There is a point where we do have to continue with the work of Jesus Christ. We got to give ourselves to this. Realize that we are in a battle. We got to keep doing it. You must determine how you can be abounding in the work even in COVID. Don't just watch on live stream or just don't show up at our service on Sunday. What are you doing to further the work of reconciliation with people? Are you investing in the word right now? Are you investing in people? Are you doing it simultaneously? And then I'll, then I'll add this. When you get sick, okay, because we live in a fallen world, it's broken. And let me say, you're wondering, am I going to get sick or this or this? You will get sick. Guess what? If the Lord tarries, so are going to die. As I, I read just a couple of days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, David says, I'm going the way of all the earth. And you are all going the way of all the earth. You're going to die. When you get sick, entrust your life to a faithful God. One little bonus lesson in this text is this. There's four main characters. Paul, Epaphroditus, the Philippian church, and God. God is a character in every story. And in this particular story, he's overseen it all. Look what it says in verse 27. It says this, indeed, he was sick near to death, but God, there he is, God's in every story, and here he is, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him also, but also on me, lest that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you catch this? Notice when Epaphroditus got sick, what did God do? God was the one in his situation who granted mercy and allowed him to recover. Do you realize that God oversees all things? No doubt that was an answer to prayer. But you know what? Sometimes God answers our prayers. And some God, sometimes God in his wisdom chooses not to answer in the way that we want. I like what one person said. He said this, trusting in God's mercy when recovery does not occur giving God credit only to God's mercy when recovery does occur. We're not in charge of whether they recover or not. And you know what? There's been times that some of us are like, why couldn't you have done this, Lord? I prayed. Why didn't you have mercy in this way? Let me tell you, everything you have is all mercy. But sometimes mercy comes in different packages. 
And we're not to worry about what's going on. In fact, I was thinking in reference to this. You remember in Jesus' last interaction with some of his disciples, Peter is interacting with Jesus. And Jesus kind of forecasts that at some point, Peter's going to die. And what does Peter do? He looks over at the apostle John. And he says, but what about him? Okay? And we often say, but what about this situation? And you remember what Jesus says to him? Listen to what it says. Jesus said unto him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to what? To you. What are you supposed to do? You follow me. You keep following me. And even sometimes when we are start doing the math of our own theology and wonder why God does this or that, and we, if the math doesn't work for us, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to not my will, but your will be done. Live by faith. So here it is. Emulate this guy's life. Okay, my second point is really short. Okay, here it is. Honor those who are involved in the work of Christ. And he does this right at the end of the text. After Peter, I mean, Paul explains Epaphras' work and his return, he calls them to two actions. Look at what it says in verse 29. He says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So what are we supposed to do when people live this way? Receive them or welcome them in the Lord. That little phrase there reminds us that everything we do is in the Lord. Everything. Keeps him in the focus. He's in view. The church may have been tentative about kind of accepting Epaphras back. Did he kind of fail? Did he, did he mess up? And he's like saying, no, this guy, he gave himself to this. No, he tells them when he comes back, do it with what? With joy. And as a side note, I hope some of you are doing this in your little Bible. You're taking note of how many times joy comes up in this text. Joy is everywhere. And joy is one of the fruit of the spirit of people who live in partnership of the gospel. We are called to be joyful in the midst of this. And he says, receive him with joy. I can't help but think like when our missionaries come back from the field, when the sprites return again, or when different ones come back and they've been laboring in the work of Christ. You know what we ought to do? Welcome them. I love what our greeters do each week. And greeters, let me just say, you particularly have a great opportunity if you serve in that arena. And I'll tell you, if you're looking for a place to serve, let me encourage you to do it. Because what can you do every Sunday is as people come back from the work of God all through the week, what are you going to do? Welcome them in the Lord with joy. Thank you for serving the Lord. And you're doing exactly what this text says. And then it says this, and honor those like him. And there's a place for honor in those people. And I honor so many of those, and the Bible says to do this. In fact, it says in Proverbs 3, verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it, uh, when it is in your power to do it. Praise those who are involved in the work of Christ. I'm so thankful I serve in this ministry, and I get to see so many of, I mean, three of the women who have had an incredible impact on my life. Any of you have heard uh, that next month, Someone who served, Lori Jerem, has served in our nursery for over 30 years. She's labored for the work of Christ. Different type of battlefield, very serious one in the nursery. 
I think of the office that's right next to me, Carla Mueller, who has very carefully taken care of the numbers in our church and making sure she accurately reflects everything that we spend. And that's part of her labor. I mean, she could do that in many other places for a whole lot more money, but she does it for the work of Christ. Think of Pansy Fox in our kitchen, who for over 40 years has just fattened us up physically (laughs) for the work of Christ. They ought to be honored. They ought to be praised. You know what? Do what you... Get involved. Use your gifts, whether it's cooking, whether it's wiping runny nose, changing dirty diapers, whether it's welcoming people when they come in. Get involved in the assembly line of the work of Christ and always abounding in it. Learn from Epaphroditus and emulate those who are in the work of Christ and honor them. Find ways that you can do that this week. Okay? Let's live like these Philippians who have a different citizenship. We live for the the cause of Christ. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.